0: Go ahead and grab a seat, and as you do, you can uh, grab a Bible. Hopefully, you brought one with you. If you didn't, that's okay. We've got uh, one that you can use underneath one of the seats in front of you, and um, you know, I too would uh, just like to acknowledge and, you know, I don't know about you, but I was reminded uh, this morning that we live in Wisconsin. I was like, oh yeah, I didn't think we were doing that snow thing uh, this year. And um, I, I thought I was really smart last night. I, I kind of waited and, and, you know, I was kind of watching the forecast and trying, I, I wanted to just clear my drive like once if I could help it, or at least, you know, pretty close. And I figured I'd come back after after uh, the service today and kind of clean up a little bit. But so I waited till like kind of late last night and then did it. And I woke up to like five or six more. More inches. I was like, "What happened? Where is this coming from?" So, I had to, uh, you know, r- remind myself how we uh, how we go about that. But I'm glad you made it. Glad you're here. Um, glad that we have this opportunity to dig into God's Word this morning. Um, if you. Um, uh, are There you can uh, begin making your way to Daniel. We're going to be in chapter uh, three this morning, and we're continuing in our series. And usually, as of what I like to do as we kind of get into the series, is just kind of you know, just sort of a brief recap, right? Um, and uh, unlike um, uh, you know on Netflix or something like that, where you can just skip the intro, I'm going to I'm going to kind of make us uh, know and remember just kind of where we've come uh, so far because it's it really sets up um, the stage for uh, what happens today. Um, just to kind of catch us up. Um, we began the book of Daniel a couple weeks ago, and uh, what we saw from the very beginning is that uh, Jerusalem was um, uh, attacked, and, and siege was um, laid to Jerusalem uh, and, and the lower part of Israel, Judah. And uh, King Nebuchadnezzar came from Babylon, and he all back with him several thousand uh, of the sort of elites, the leaders, the um, the, the rulers, uh, the the influencers. You know, people like real influencers, not like today's influencers, but like real influencers, bringing them back, and the. Idea idea was is that uh, these um, nobility, they were going to um, kind of indoctrinate them and uh, rewire them and kind of bring them into the culture. And so we met in the first week, Daniel, along with his three friends, um, uh, who are kind of commonly referred to in the book as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's who we're going to uh, see uh, today. But they, um, from the very beginning, uh, the the idea was is that they were going to be kind of sucked into or kind of put into the culture. And they found a path that that allowed them to remain faithful to the convictions that they had, the truth that they held on to. And so um, they, They um, began to live differently. And God honored them in that, and they were put into a place of prominence um, uh, after Daniel was able to interpret a dream for the king. And and so he has this dream, Daniel interprets them, and so they're, they're all kind of elevated to this, this place. Well, this morning, we kind of pick up right after that dream, um, but some years have passed. I think the uh, understanding, maybe uh, there's 15 or so years that have kind of taken place from this, but in our timeline, as we kind of continue, it seems like it's perhaps the next day, but some time has passed. Let's look together at Daniel chapter three, beginning in verse one, and uh, you can follow along in your copy of scripture. Um, it says this, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth was six cubits. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon." And King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, prefects, governors, counselors, treasurers, justices, magistrates, and the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image that the King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Before we go any further, I just want to point out a literary device we're going to see a lot of today. Uh, There's a ton of repetition. The idea um, of of kind of having all those positions listed, and then you're going to see the King Nebuchadnezzar set up this image, is just to kind of reinforce what's happening, kind of drawing our eyes to... um, sort of like you know, putting it in bold, uh, so to speak, so that we can kind of make sure that we catch this. So let's continue. Uh, here's some repetition right here. Verse 3, Then the satraps, prefects, uh, governors, and counselors, and treasurers, and justices, and magistrates, and all the officials of the province gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Right? Sounds very similar uh, to the verse that we just read. And they stood before the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed out loud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, that you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, uh, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of uh, music. All the peoples, nations, languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. All right, so here we find ourselves, you know, continuing on and understanding this king that we again were introduced to in chapter one. This is the king that came and took the uh, the, the people back uh, to Babylon. Now they've been joined by many more. Well, he's he's kind of insane. Um, he has an anger problem. He uh, sort of, you know, hot and cold, kind of swings back and forth. You never know which uh, King Neb you're going to get. But here, um, if, if you recall, um, uh, this is like kind of in direct contrast to what this dream that he just had. And, and so what creates is a situation that's going to require uh, some courage this morning. That's what we're going to see in the passage. And so the title uh, this morning is Courage in the Fire. And I think where we're going, even if you haven't grown up in church or or, spent, or read this story before, my guess is this is kind of one of those stories that have kind of made it out and, and people tend to sort of know. But as we look at it this morning, what we're going to see is it has some incredible truths for us. You know, it's not some uh, kind of fantastical fairy tale. This, is, uh, this has really happened. It was recorded and, and this is presented to us as, as history This is something that took place in the lives of of these men and so um, there's some things that we're gonna be able to learn and understand and apply to our own life but here in this situation we see a situation that required great courage is that they were given this question of would we bow down, should we bow down to this image or are we gonna stand and continue to serve and worship the God who we believe to be the true God see what happens next, verse eight. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews, and they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship will be cast into the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And so here we have the choice that these three men decided to be uh, faithful to the God that they uh, serve, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God over the heavens and the creation, and they uh, chose in this moment to not worship King Neb's golden image, but to stand despite the threat that was before them. And here's what we see, the first kind of truth that we're going to see that I would like to draw our attention to this morning is this, is that confession of God's kingship requires our obedience. A confession of God's kingship requires our obedience. Now you can kind of see this contrasted between King Nebuchadnezzar's actions and the actions of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, King Neb, if you remember, that dream, um, uh, you know, it wasn't that long ago, so just last week we had that dream, and the dream, he dreamed of a statue, and that statue uh, was composed of different metals, right? The head was of gold. And as Daniel interpreted the dream for the king, he said that this, this golden head, this represents your, your empire, King Nebuchadnezzar. Like, and, 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 and this is you and all of your greatness. And, and it was the strongest, most powerful uh, entity in the world at that time, right? It was the empire over all things. But he says that is going to come to an end, and someday there's going to be another empire that will raise up. And so that was represented by the silver uh, sort of chest and arms. And then another empire was raising up. And that was uh, represented by the uh, bronze. And then another that was represented by, this, by the iron. And so there was other empires that were going to kind of come before. But the, the whole dream was is that someday there's going to be uh, what was in the image, a stone not made from hands that was going to come and crash into that statue. It was going to completely destroy it. And then it was going to... Be grow into a great mountain. And the picture is, is that Jesus, we learned, Jesus is going to set up his kingdom, his rule, his reign, and it will be greater than any earthly reign that has ever been or ever will be. And it will last for eternity. It is the eternal kingdom. And so in direct contrast to this, you see, like last week, we ended with Daniel honoring the God of Daniel and putting them into position and seemed to sort of express that truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings. Like that's, that came out of King Neb's mouth. He's the Lord of kings. But his actions clearly stand in direct contrast to it. Him making the statue, this was a massive statue. 60 cubits is about 90 feet. Okay? And it was Gold. Probably gold-plated, but, but who knows? Maybe he just had just an abundance of gold, and this thing was solid gold. I don't know, but this thing was massive. And the idea was is that he wanted to say, by making the entire statue gold, right? not just the head, but the entire statue, that my kingdom has no end. And he wanted to show his might and his supremacy over all things. And so when he called the people there, he gathered all the nations, all the languages, everyone together, and he declared that you shall. And so, I mean, there's massive numbers that were expected. It wasn't just the rulers that were there for this dedication. There were perhaps upwards of hundreds of thousands of people there that day that were bowing down to this image. It could have been an image of King Neb, probably was an image of the God, but the whole point was is that you serve me. You're recognizing my greatness The greatness of this empire. And you're bowing down to my gods. That was what he was doing that. And the thing that we see is that this has not, isn't new. Like nothing's new under the sun. Uh, There was a situation similar to this. This should feel almost similar. Is that in this very region, right? We We learned about this. In the very region is where the Tower of Babel was constructed. So the last time that all the people gathered together, they all were speaking the same language at that time before the languages were scattered, but, but they were all together. And what were they doing then? They were constructing a tower to speak to the greatness of their empire, the, 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 the humanity's reign over things. And so here they are again, same thing, same heart condition, same response. And you see this juxtaposition of, of the obedience, right? Right? King Nebuchadnezzar says that you are you king you God are the lord of kings but he is not obeying him or responding to him as such and he's requiring that all people do that the same but then you see the choice that Shadrach Meshach and Abednego make they make the difficult choice of obedience in this situation the music plays and they make the choice they're not going to bow down. And this, for us, church, is a great picture of what obedience often looks like. They had a decision to make. In this moment, there was a choice that was right, and there was a choice that was wrong. And they were given the opportunity to choose. Are you going to choose the right choice to not bow down to the foreign fake, the idol, small g God, or are you going to conform with everybody else and bow down to this idol. And they chose the choice that honored the God of the heavens, the true God, the God of their fathers, and here is a really clear picture. This is what idolatry looks like, right? The people were bowing down to an image that was made by human hands. The reason that they talk about this fiery furnace, well, that furnace was what was probably used to smelt that gold that put on the, I mean, just like that that, that existed as just an element is, you know, in a different form. And so people smelted that, put it together and, and constructed this image. And now people were bowing down to it as if it had some sort of power or direction over them. It's a really clear picture of what idolatry looks like. But today, we don't often think about bowing down to idols in this way. Make no mistake, it certainly still happens today. But the idolatry that we see all around us or that we are confronted with in our own heart looks very different. But again, make no mistake that we are still confronted with the choice to worship the true God or to worship the things that we make into God's. You see, idolatry doesn't have to be an image or some sort of uh, statue or something like that. Idolatry is anything that we love more than God. Idol worship is uh, worshiping anything more than God. And we, do, we worship all sorts of idols in our life. You can even take good things, things that you know, are blessings from the Lord, and they can become idols. You can worship your family, you can worship your kids, you can worship your job, you can worship your home, you can worship your lifestyle, you can worship relationships, you can worship your hobbies, you can worship your fitness, you can worship, I mean, there's all sorts of things that you can love more than God. I wanna share this quote from uh, Tim Keller. He writes in, in the book, Counterfeit Gods. This is just an example of what it looks like to worship self Look at how easy it is. When people say, I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself, they mean that they have failed an idol whose approval is more important than God's. What does he mean by that? Who's the idol? What's the idol that we're failing to get approval in this situation? It's me, right? If I'm saying I can't forgive myself, then I've made myself the supreme direction of my worship. And in this moment, if I'm saying I can't forgive myself, then my approval matters more than the approval of God. See what's happening there? It's the love of self more than the love of God. If God is saying, no, no, I forgive you. I'm declaring you righteous. I'm giving you my grace. Then we're saying, no, but what really matters is what my own heart says. That's idol worship. We're worshiping self. And listen, church, we have to be really careful that we, uh, (laughs) obedience, I think, has gotten a bad rap. Some of us have grown up in maybe legalistic uh, churches or legalistic homes. Maybe we grew up with a um, sort of religion for religion's sake. And so we contend to skew toward grace and forgiveness and God's love. And make no mistake, there is grace. There is forgiveness. There is love. But there is also a lordship of our Jesus Christ, our Savior, that requires obedience He's given us some instructions. So there's things for similar in the same way that for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there's a right choice and a wrong choice that day. We too have right choices and wrong choices every single day. Listen, if we do not obey the decrees of God, then we are walking in sin. And we can sin by omission, failing to do the things that God has done, or sins of commission, doing the things that God has prohibited. And so church, can we just maybe start right here and just ask the question, how are we doing in this area of obedience? Do we even care? I think we do, but sometimes we just, we get a little loose. We get a little lazy. And so here's a question to help kind of maybe realign some things for us this morning. This would be a great question to think about, this will be a great question for our groups this week, but, but here's the question. Where in your life is greater obedience needed? Where in your life have you allowed disobedience to creep in or maybe even take over? I don't know, maybe following the statement in chapter two, King Neb followed kind of the God for a while, but it would seem that he just kind of added him to his God and eventually kind of forgot about him altogether. Right, so you have this picture of King Nebuchadnezzar elevating himself over things. See, we do that. We take what we like to say good things and make them God things. Like family is awesome, but if you live for your family, and that is the thing that you love above all other things, then that becomes a God thing in your life. We have jobs that, that are great and provide and give us purpose, and we get to use talents and gifts and things like that, but if that becomes the greatest thing in your life and it over, overtakes, it's so good if you are, are taking care of yourself and you're, you're exercising and you're eating well, but if your personal health and fitness overrules everything else and becomes the, the greatest thing in your life, I watched this happen over the last couple of years as we've walked through a, a global pandemic. There were so many people that valued, that chose to value their own health over so many other things. And that became the prevailing thing for so long is like, I just gotta stay healthy, right? We worship these things above the true and living God. And so listen, Let's not make the mistake that we can kind of pick and choose whether Jesus is our Savior or Jesus is our King. He is both. When we declare Jesus as Savior, we declare him as Lord, and his kingship requires our obedience. If he's said something, then we want to listen and we want to follow. And church, this goes well for us. We've said it before, but every time God says don't, what he's really saying is don't hurt yourself he hasn't made rules to make our life unfun or, or just to kind of limit you know, how we experience things. What he's really doing is he's protecting us. He's loving us. His, his loving leadership over our life, his, his direction for us is ultimately for our good. And so here we see these men believing that. They recognize, no, no king. You are not our king. We serve a king that is in the heavens and we are not gonna bow to you. They made this choice. They, it required their obedience. Let's continue on, see what happens next. Verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that, um, can we just go veggie tales on this? Shack, rack, or rack, Shack, and Benny, right? Anyone? Uh, rack, Shack, and Benny be brought. And so they brought these men before the king. And Neb answered and said to them, Is it true? Rack, and Benny, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up. Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, we get it, okay, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands Right again, King Neb in direct opposition to their God. In this moment, right, they're given one more chance, kind of pulled into the back room and say, listen, guys, are you sure? Are you sure? We're gonna play the music one more time. Maybe you didn't kind of catch it. I'm just gonna give you the benefit of the doubt here. I'm feeling gracious. One more chance, but listen, this is the last chance. Should you choose to not bow down, you will go right into that furnace over there. And here's the response. And here's where we see the second truth being lived out in these lives. It's this: is the conviction of God's character establishes our confidence. They had some conviction about who God was and how they wanted to respond to Him in this situation. I mean, He asks, he's like, are you sure?" And they don't, they don't need to think, take some time and pray about it. They don't need to like have kind of a little side conversation and sort of weigh the options. They know exactly what they're gonna do. And the reason for that is that first word there is conviction. What are convictions? Convictions are beliefs that are set. They're firm. They're immovable. Listen, we wanna be open-minded, certainly, right? We wanna be... Uh, willing and ready to hear new ideas. I mean, how many things have we learned throughout history that has, you know, used to think the world is flat and now we know that it's not. Uh, some people still don't know that. And so we're trying to, you know, let it, But but the thing is, is that there, there's like new truth certainly that has come up. And we wanna be willing to hear, especially as it relates to our character, right? and our growth. Man, I'm so glad that I'm, I'm still not acting the same way as I was when I was six or when I was 10, or when I was 16, right? We learn and we grow in those things, but but there are certain truths about God that he has expressed and that he has not given us any wiggle room on. And those, church, those are to be convictions for us, immovable, that we are firm in our beliefs. There were some things that they knew and they understood about God that were not in question in that moment. And so they didn't need to have the side conference to answer the king in that matter. They knew exactly what they were gonna do. Well, what were some things? What was the conviction about God's character in that moment? Well, they they believe this about God, that he is the king of kings, that he is the highest and greatest authority in all of creation, over all the universe, that he is the one and only God, that he is the God over creation, and that he sees and he knows all things. They don't picture him and they don't believe in him as some distant, far-off God or something that exists in, in an image that's made by, by man, but, but he is above all of that. And so there was a conviction around who he was. They also believe that, that he is powerful, right? That they have a conviction that he is, he is able to work and that he is able to save and that he can be present in this situation. They also believe that he's loving and that he's caring, that he, will, that he, he desires to protect them. And so all of these things, they believe about God's character in that moment, and then that's what ultimately establishes their confidence. Listen, church, would we have the same understanding of God's character, and would that help establish our confidence in the way that we live out our lives each and every day? Like in this moment, again, they were able to make this incredible declaration if it's not already, I would encourage you, well, one, you should write in your Bibles, but, but one place to write in your Bible would be verses 17 and 18. This is such a key verse, especially in this chapter. But they're expressing their conviction about God here. Let's put it on the screen. It says this, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Right, we believe that he's able Not only that, we expect that he will. But I love that next part. But even if not, we're still not serving your God and we still believe that he is the true and living God. See, this is what the confidence was. If you're taking notes, maybe you wanna write this down. This is what confidence looked like for them. It was confidence that God is able. Can he save them in that moment? Yes. How does he do that? I don't know, maybe the fire just goes out. Maybe he kind of takes them out of the situation altogether and they find themselves in a different place. He's done that before. Uh, Maybe he uh, moves in the king's heart and he chooses to be gracious. Uh, Maybe he works in some other way. They don't know, but they know that he can. Any of those things, can God do any of those things? Yes, without a doubt, he can. But then we see not just confident that he's able, but confident that God is willing like, is that something that God would be willing to do? Does he care about me enough to do it? And again, they're saying that, that uh, he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Did they know that he was gonna deliver them? What do you think? Yes, no, thumbs up. If it's yes, thumbs down. If it's no, did they know that he was gonna deliver them? Uh, come on, vote, vote, vote. Let's go. Thumbs down, thumbs down. They didn't know. That's why he says the next thing. But if not, right? They didn't know in that moment, but they expected that he would. And they knew without a doubt that he was able. And so they're gonna trust and they're gonna kind of act in a confidence that God is willing to do it. But then that confidence doesn't fade even when he doesn't. I think we're really good with the first one, right? I think most of us can check that box. We believe that God is able. We question whether or not he's willing. But this is where doubt really creeps in is when he doesn't. Do we still have confidence that God is who he says he is? Do we still have confidence in his character, his love, his faithfulness toward us? Church, can we be encouraged by their response here in this moment? They had no idea what was coming next, but they were convicted. They were convinced of who God is, and they acted in that conviction. Can we pray in this same way? I've shared with my small group, I have a dear friend that recently chose to kind of walk away from the Lord. And it's hard because he's a good friend and he walked with the Lord for a long time. And so I have begun praying for him on a regular basis. And my prayer is this, God, I know that you can move in his heart, that you can draw him back to yourself, that you can remind him of the truths that he once believed and God, I know that you want that. I know that you're, you're willing for him to return, that your grace is sufficient, that he has not done something that would take him outside of your love and your grace for him. So you're willing to do it. And so God, I'm gonna pray expectantly that you will. But then here's the tough part. God, even if you don't, I still believe that you are in control and God, that you know what's best. That's a tough prayer to pray Can I just encourage you to pray that same prayer in the situation that you find yourself even today. We've had many young couples in our church that have waited on the Lord for uh, a baby, a son, a daughter, trying to get pregnant. Would you pray, yes, God, you can. You can give us a child. We know that you're willing, but Lord, even if you don't, I still have confidence that you're still good and that you still love I've watched many desire to be married and waiting, living righteously for looking for a spouse. And at times it gets tricky. God, you can, and I, I expect that you will, but, but even if you don't, I still believe that you're good. Some of us have children that have wandered away from the Lord and we've been praying that they would return. And, and so our prayer can look, God, you are willing I know that you can, but even if you don't, I still trust that you are good. There's illnesses that we walk through. There's addictions that we try and get out of. There are just even discouragement and forgetting the goodness and the nearness of God. Would we pray in this way? God, I know that you can, I expect that you're willing, but even if you don't, I still believe that you are God. This is the faith that we see demonstrated in their decision. They had no idea what was coming next, but they knew who God was. And so that gave them the confidence to act in the way that they were acting. You know, I know for some of you, this is brought up, and I've heard, I mean, situations with children and situations with at work or, you know, just with relationships, trying to navigate, you know, difficult, crazy situations that come up. I know for some of us, Maybe we're facing even before us in a similar way. Like, we, we have a decision to make. Like, I mean, how easy would it have been for them to justify in that moment? Well, you know what? No one really knows now. Like, we know our heart, we know what's going on. And so, if we just bow in this moment, you know, we, is it really that bad? Like, we can get forgiveness from God later on that. And I think He'll understand. See, that wasn't even, again, an option for them. They were so convinced and so convi- had such strong conviction about God's character that they were willing to act in that way again, I don't know what situation is maybe facing you when you walk into work tomorrow, or I don't know what situation is kind of you know, coming up in that relationship, that friendship, that family relationship, that dynamic, whatever it might be. But I know that many of us are facing difficult situations where we are being tempted to compromise. When we are doubting whether or not this is really what God has called us to. Can I just tell you, church, that you probably know if God's made it clear in his word, you know what he desires for you to do. Can you have confidence that he will sustain you through making that choice? Would it give you the confidence that you need to choose the difficult thing? Oftentimes, choosing to follow the Lord is difficult. It's often lonely, right? So good that they had each other. God was so gracious in that. One of the questions is, well, where's Daniel in all this? Right, where, where, how did he get out of this? We don't know. We don't know how he got. I don't think he was with the crowd bowing down. Based on the rest of the book, I'm pretty convinced of that. So the guess is maybe he was back at the palace. He had some duties that he had to attend, and he, like, heard about this later. He's like, man, I'm glad I wasn't there, right? Or maybe, maybe he's on, like, kind of up on the stage with King Neb. He had a pretty high prominent position. Maybe he was sort of exempt from this, and he didn't have to do it. So he's painfully watching, like, standing back and praying for his friends and, you know, How do I kind of help in this situation? But regardless, I mean, we don't see Daniel. It's just the three of these guys kind of doing this together. But it was lonely. It doesn't say this, but the understanding is maybe they were the only ones that were left standing of all of the people on the plane that day. But again, it didn't matter because they had conviction in their hearts that led them to a confidence to act in this manner. Let's continue on, verse 19. Oh man, here we go, Kim Neb. He flies off the handle again. He was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed. How how much had the expression of his face had to have changed to be recorded for eternity like in scripture, right? Like, I mean, what kind of face was he making in that moment that that gets recorded? Uh, It must've been a very, very, you know, mean face. Um, Some of us have like mean resting faces. Apparently he had like a, you know, Fairly pleasant, you know, change. So, anyways, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. Seven is kind of the perfect number, so it's it's not. It's kind of hyperbole. It's just like they they like crank it up, you know, max capacity, max heat, like get that thing going. It's totally unnecessary. I mean, gold melts around 2,000 some degrees or so, I think is where it, like the smelting process. So that's plenty, plenty sufficient to do the job of what he was trying to do. But he is heating it to max, max heat. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace just to make sure that we understand what's happening. It says, again, that they were bound in their cloaks and their tunics and their hats and their other garments. So they're, they're fully clothed, they're wrapped with ropes or some sort of you know, binding uh, material there, and, uh, and then uh, they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace and because of the urgency of the order, right? The king's order was so urgent and the fire was overheated. The flame of the fire killed the men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's in there just to make, make us know that it wasn't you know, some small little thing that wasn't able to do the job. It killed the men that were carrying them in. And they dropped in. They're now in the fire. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell in bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then King Neb was astonished. He rose up in haste. He's sitting there watching the whole thing and he's like, what's going on? Jumps up and he's like, did we not cast three men bound in the fire? He's like, maybe I missed this, but what? there are three of them, right? They answered and said, true, O king. Yes, it's just three. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of God's. Incredible, right? King Nebuchadnezzar came near the door of the burning, fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then they came out of the fire, and then all the rulers that were there, they saw that the fire had not had any power over their bodies, so they weren't burned. The hair of their heads was not singed, and their cloaks were not harmed. Furthermore, they didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. They didn't even smell like they had been in the fire. It's incredible. And King Neb responds and says, "Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has set his angels and delivered his servants and trusted in him, and set aside the king's command. And he yielded up their bodies rather than serve, that they, rather they then serve and worship any god except their own god." Here's what we see: the reason that these men were able to act. That the courage that they had was because God had been present with them in the past and going forward, you better believe that they're going to have courage because of this, the consistency of God's presence. I think the consistency of God's presence can produce in us the courage that we so desperately need. They were confident that God was there with them. And man, I love this picture that they had, right? They were bound up, fully clothed, in the fire. And then is like, wait, Where'd that fourth guy come from? And notice what it says. It says the fourth month, what are they doing? They're unbound. And so their bodies didn't burn. Their clothes didn't burn. Their hair didn't singe. But the only thing that burned on them was the ropes that they were tied with. How incredible is that? So that, those burn up and then they're, they're, they're walking around Free. And most commentators, I think many would agree that this is what we would call a theophany. This is a pre-incarnate vision of Jesus Christ himself. That the Son of God, not just that he looked like the Son of God, it was the Son of God that was there in the fire with them at that moment. He came down himself and he met them in their time of need. And he saved them. Again, they didn't know that that was coming, but that was what he chose to do. And I think it's just a reminder that sometimes God doesn't take us out of the fire or remove the fire from our situation, but sometimes he meets us in the middle of that fire. Amen. Right? Some of us, we need that this morning. You've been praying, God, keep me out of this fire. It's like, Take this furnace away. I guarantee you, it wasn't a pleasant experience, right? Neither, none of those guys, (laughs) Rack Benny, none of them wanted that morning, you know what, I hope I end up in that fire over there. Like, it wasn't a pleasant experience, but there, in the middle of it, God was, God himself, Jesus Christ was ministering to them and he was present with them in their time of need. And what a picture of what he would do someday, right? Here we see that Jesus came down and met with them in the fire, someday Jesus was going to come down and he himself was going to go through the fiery trial of the cross, right? And he was gonna take on the wrath of God in the midst and in the process, the thing that gets burned up, the thing that goes away is the shackles that bind us. He purchased on the cross, Jesus did for us, the forgiveness of our sins. He set us free through his resurrection. And so this is a a foreshadowing, a showing of what he's gonna do, his his meeting with us and his presence in there and then his power so that they are then released and they are set free. Not only that, but they're elevated to a place of prominence. Again, King Neb says, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse 29, he continues. He says, therefore, I make a decree any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruin, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. So close, but so far, right? Like, he's so close. He sees, like, man, this is the God. No one else should, should follow any other God. If you do, I'm going to tear you apart. I'm going to make your, your house a garbage heap. Like, like so close, but, but, but he doesn't quite get it. Again, still not Lord of his life, but he sees it. He wants to believe. He's moving closer. He has plenty of opportunities to it, to do it. Listen, church, this is where I think we need to uh, kind of land today and be reminded of: is that as much as we would like to be uh, for that fire uh, to be removed, uh, God has not always promised that He would keep us out of the fire. In fact, he said in his word that fiery trials would come, right? We just saw this in James as we studied James uh, together as a church, that, that, that there are trials that we face. But his promise is not that he would keep us out of it, but that he would join us in it, that he's present in the midst of it. And so would that be just an encouragement to you today if you find yourself in a place where you're like, man, I'm in the fire, I'm in the furnace, and you're feeling the heat, you're feeling the pressure, and some of us, we, 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 we get tired. We're like, I don't know if I can keep this up much longer. I don't know if I can do this. And maybe maybe there's even the desire, I, I, don't, I don't know if I can continue to be obedient in this way. I don't know how long it's gonna be before I start to conform or start to kind of give in to the things around us. Can we just be encouraged again that we would hold fast to the convictions about who God is and that we would see and that we would understand what it means that God is on the throne, that he is king, that he is Lord, that he is over all things. But in all of that, would we never forget that God is present with us in our current situation. So many times we forget this, how lonely it was. Did they feel like so alone? They look out and they see the sea of faces and they're like, are we the only ones, right? Are we the only ones? Are we all alone in this? And then yet who joins them? The son of God himself there met them in that place. Listen, we do not serve, we do not follow, we do not believe in a God that is far off, but we believe in a God that is present. Jesus Christ is still just as present with you today. He's not watching from afar. He is present in your current situation. He's at work in it. And he is representing you before the father on your behalf and he is speaking truth over you and he is, leading you, and he is, I mean, go back to that series that we did in the summer on the Good Shepherd. I mean, he is with you. And we forget that. We think that we're alone, but you're not. This is a story, it's a picture that we would have that we would be reminded that he is uh, with them in this. The king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. And so we're reminded of the work that God has accomplished on our behalf. Can I just tell you, if you have never responded to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life, that is what He the next move that He is calling you to today. That we wouldn't just view Him as Savior, but that we would respond to Him, that we would follow Him as Lord, that He would set aside our own, our own, our own authority, right? Our own pursuit of, of what I want, what I need, our sinful patterns our sinful desires, that we would set that aside and that we would say, no, no, God, I'm choosing you. I'm gonna follow you. I believe you are who you say you are. And I trust your forgiveness and your grace over my life. Let's pray. Our God, we, we praise you and give you thanks for who you are. Lord, I just want to, um, God, this morning, just acknowledge our propensity, Lord, to chase after the shiny things around us. Lord, so many times we are distracted. Uh, God, sometimes we're discouraged. Lord, oftentimes we find ourselves deceived. And we think, God, that the things around us, the things that we pursue after, God, the things that we love more than you will ultimately satisfy. That they'll deliver, but Lord, we know that they won't. And so would you remind us of this this, again this morning? God, that you are on the throne. God, that you are worthy of all of our worship, our highest worship, God, our best worship. And God, would you remind us that you are not far off but rather, Lord, you are with us in the things that we are walking through. And God, we do not need to walk with courage, of our own courage, Lord, but we have the ability, Lord, to look to you and to receive the courage that you offer, God, from knowing you, a confidence in your faithfulness, in your character, and your working. And so, God, would you encourage us this morning? God, would you remind us of that, that you are present in the situations that we are facing even now? And Lord, that you will be present in the situations that are yet to come. God, we don't know what our tomorrow will hold, but Lord, we know that you will be there with us. And so God, we look to you, we trust with confidence in this truth. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.